Please take out your Bibles tonight and be turning to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1. We'll get there eventually, not right off the bat. Jeremiah, chapter 1. As you're turning there, to begin with tonight, what I'd like to do is to read a short article, just a couple of paragraphs, from Russ Lawson that appeared in the Nesbitt, Mississippi Bulletin a number of years ago. And it was entitled, Words of Encouragement. Words of Encouragement. The article reads as follows. A man tells that it seemed every time he walked in the door as he came home from work, his wife would pounce on him with tales of woe and the day's problems. Finally, he sat down and explained to her that he needed to relax a little bit before she hit him with the latest disaster news. She agreed that she would at least let him sit down and eat his dinner before springing any new problem on him. He thought he had things solved. But the very next evening, as he walked in the door, his wife said, honey, hurry up and eat your dinner. I have something terrible to tell you. Second paragraph. Sadly, many people's lives are much like the man above. It seems that, as the old saying goes, if it weren't for bad news, we'd have no news at all. In Acts chapter 13, verses 13 through 33, Paul and Barnabas had traveled to Pisidian Antioch and attended the meeting at the local synagogue. The leaders there recognized Paul as their rabbi and said in verse 15 of Acts 13, brothers, if you, had a, if you have a word of encouragement, please speak. No matter how educated, how old, how young, or how self-sufficient we are, at times, each of us needs a word of encouragement. Each of us needs a break from the latest news of disaster and mayhem in our world. And as I read that, I can't help but think of that car commercial with Mayhem. You all know the one I'm talking about, right? Just he turns up everywhere. Those are some of them. Anyway, moving on. Chaos, disaster, mayhem, troubles, problem. They show up in our daily lives and they come in all shapes and sizes. Problems like this can attack us in the physical, spiritual, social, and psychological realms of our existence. They can strike at the very heart and soul of our faith, of our families, of our friends, and our finances. Problems like this can devastate, they can destroy and divide our homes, our health, and our happiness. But you know, Chaos and disaster and these overwhelming problems are, are pretty much standard fare for God's faithful in the scriptures when you really stop and think about it. For example, you might think of the Apostle Paul and some of the struggles and perils that are recorded in 2 Corinthians 11, 22 through 33. I believe Mark mentioned those in his lesson here recently. We could talk about the Apostle Paul's conflicts and some of the life and death struggles that he was facing that he talked about in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 23 in 2 Corinthians 1, 8, and 9. 
And you know, as we consider this aspect of the faithful and all of the things that they had to encounter and endure, we might think of other great men and women of the faith who encountered some, some terrible tragedies and losses. Great servants of God like Job, Ezekiel, David, whom I talked about at length last Sunday night. You might think of all those great heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11 who stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, they were tortured. They had trials of mockings and scourgings, they had chains and imprisonment, they were stoned, they were sawn in two. That just doesn't sound like a lot of fun, does it? They were sawn in two. Slain with the sword, wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, they were destitute, afflicted, and tormented, it tells us in Hebrews 11, 33 through 38. But as we consider those for whom problems and trials of that magnitude were standard fare, no biblical list would really be complete as we were listing these without mention of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah has come to be called the weeping prophet for a reason. He referred to himself in Lamentations 3 and verse 1 as the man who had seen affliction. And that's quite an understatement if you know the story of Jeremiah. Yeah, it's true, but it's, it's, it's an understatement. Jeremiah's ministry, you know, sometimes our, con our country is in a, a political upheaval. Jeremiah's ministry stretched out to encompass the political upheaval, the war, and the reign of six different kings. And his ministry would extend over the final and fatal, in many cases, 40-year period of the kingdom of Judah. His ministry would go all the way up to the destruction of Jerusalem and to the Babylonian captivity. His was a message of doom for his sinful nation that would come straight from the heart of an angry God, a righteous God who would not continue to tolerate sin forever as they were committing. As he delivered that message, it was a message that would come with much anger or, or it's, a, it's a message that would cause him to have to encounter much anger and criticism and antagonism from those powerful people in high places that wanted to silence the message that he had. Jeremiah is also the author of the book of Lamentations, a book that assesses the damage as the prophet looks out over the pile of rubble in all effects, just a pile of rubble that is left of the once proud city of the people of God. The Apostle Paul was said to have great sorrow and continual grief in his heart in Romans 9 and verse 2. The Lord Jesus Christ was said to be a man of sorrows acquainted with grief in Isaiah 53 in verse 3. And as both of those are true, so too is it true that Jeremiah was very familiar with those same things. And here's the punchline for tonight's lesson. And if it were not for the constant words of hope and encouragement and comfort 
that God gave him, Jeremiah could very easily and probably would have very easily, if not most certainly, become a casualty of those calamities in his life. What kept him going? It was the words of encouragement from God that helped him to overcome all of those things. And that's our focus tonight. Because it's certainly true for us as well. We all need encouragement, right? And where can you find better encouragement? I mean, our world is in turmoil. A lot of us, it's, it's you know, the, the, be it national, local, be it our personal world, our social world, our family world, whatever it may be. Our world has a lot of turmoil in it. And certainly, those circumstances can, can overwhelm us and would if it were not for the encouragement that we get from God. That's why we must live and abide and stay in the scriptures on a daily basis if, if we want to overcome the disasters and the difficulties in our lives as well. That's what's going to do it. Matter of fact, scriptures tell us that. The Bible says, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, listen closely, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 15, verses 4 through 6. It is through the scriptures that we get the word of God that keeps us going, that encourages us, even in the worst of disasters and of difficulties. And, and tonight, I want to give you a very brief reminder, hoping that you might go home and, and reread or, or start a, a study through the book of Jeremiah for its message of hope and deliverance and what it can mean to you in this world of chaos and confusion and pain and sorrow. Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah was a youth when the word of the Lord came to him during the reign of good King Josiah. But it was all pretty much downhill from there. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign, came also in the days of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Simplify that. <laughs> Jeremiah had a long ministry that was throughout the reign of, as we said, six kings, a lot of chaos, a lot of upheaval, lasted all the way to the captivity. Then the word of the Lord came to me, this is Jeremiah speaking, verse 4, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, I, for I'm a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Now, Jeremiah was going to have a message that was strong, 
telling people, coming around and saying, doom is coming because of your actions. And, and what it must have been, you know, sometimes we are a little bit intimidated when the Lord asks us to go talk to people about what we've got in Christ, aren't we? Sometimes, I mean, honestly, we are. Jeremiah is told very shortly here, part of this message he needs to tell these people, and that'd be pretty intimidating for a youth. How are you going to do that, Jeremiah? You notice the words of encouragement that immediately follow? Look at verse 8. Don't be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Notice God's words of encouragement. Right on, right on the, the, the very immediate heels of that instruction, God's encouragement. This, this chaos and mayhem and rebellion, this, this life and death persecution that would come from, from many influential people in high and powerful places we see outlined or at least alluded to in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 1. God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1.17, Therefore prepare yourself and arise and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. Whoa. No, it doesn't say that. I said that. God said, don't be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, and against the people of the land. That's scary. You know what he told him? He says, you're going to stand against everybody. That would be today like saying, you're going to have to stand against the rulers, the government, your friends, your culture, and your family. You're going to have to stand against everybody. Verses 17 and 18. Wow. Now, again, Sometimes in our family, sometimes in our workplaces, sometimes when we're at school, it can be a little intimidating when everybody is, is kind of throwing around some anti-Christian stuff and, and we can kind of, uh, what should I say and should I say anything and maybe I shouldn't say anything. We can be a little intimidated by that. He's come right out and told, look, kings, priests, people, all of them. How could Jeremiah face that? As, as pot potentially life-threatening, as personally overwhelming as that instruction must have been to him, I want you to notice what comes immediately on the heels of that. I want you to notice the words of encouragement and the rock-solid promises of Almighty God, which immediately follow, just like it did in verse 8. Look at verse 19. God said, they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. Isn't God awesome? God says, here's what you got to do. And you go, me? God says, let me encourage you. I'll go with you. It's not about you. I'll go with you. And so, Jeremiah goes. We see this similar pattern throughout much of the book. And again, the message which God gave Jeremiah to deliver was a strong, strong, scary message of judgment and destruction because the people had stopped listening to him. Turn to chapter 11. We're going to kind of float up through here some of these tonight. 
certainly can't cover the whole book in one night or one month. Jeremiah chapter 11, just look at verses 6 through 11. Look at the message he had. Then the Lord said to me, Jeremiah 11, 6, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, saying, Hear the words of this covenant and do them. For I earnestly exhorted your fathers in the day I brought them up out of the land of Egypt until this day, rising early and exhorting, saying, Obey my voice. But they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone followed the dictates of his evil heart. Therefore I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant which I commanded them to do, but which they've not done. You go tell the people they didn't listen and it's all going to break loose. I am going to just turn judgment loose on them in my wrath. God said to me, verse 9 of chapter 11, a conspiracy has been found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They've turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words. They've gone after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. He said, that's what I want you to tell them. <laughs> he didn't say, I want you to go to them and tell them Jesus loves them. Sometimes we have difficulty with that. He didn't say, I want you to go to them and tell them that they need to be baptized to be saved. Sometimes we struggle with that. That isn't the kind of message he said, he said Jeremiah, this is what I want you to go tell them. You, they've turned their back on me, and doom is coming for it. You go tell them. I think I'd rather be a preacher under the new covenant than a prophet under the old one. <laughs> And not only does God say that he will not listen to those people when they pray to him, but he says he won't listen to Jeremiah even if Jeremiah prays for him. Look at verse 14. Do not pray for this people or lift up a cry of prayer for them, for I'll not hear them in the time that they cry out to me because of their trouble. And then in chapter 15 and verse 1, he says, even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind would not be favorable toward this people. Cast them out of my sight. Imagine that, no intercessor. And you go tell them. Verse 17 of chapter 11, for the Lord of hosts who planted you has pronounced doom against you for the evil of the house of Israel and the house of Judah, which they have done to themselves to provoke me to anger and offering incense to Baal. That is how strong God's message was. That's what he said, I want you to tell him. And this is why Jeremiah was so hated and tortured and persecuted for preaching it. Listen, how would you feel? It doesn't matter if it's Steve, me, Eddie, whoever. How would you feel if, if preachers stood up in front of you and unleashed this kind of message? These people are facing that kind of message. Let me tell you, it wouldn't be easy for the preacher to preach that either. And as is always the case, whether it's the Old Testament prophets, the New Testament apostles, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, or anybody else, when you have a people who do not want to obey God and they hear the truth about his subsequent wrath coming upon them, what do they typically seek to do? Silence the messenger. Well, so what? Let me ask you a question. A lot of you cross train tracks, as we hear train whistle out here quite often, Obviously, a train just flows up the other side of 69, but imagine this. Each railroad crossing has got a warning system, right? Lights, arms, the whole nine yards. And that warning system is there to tell you the train's coming, right? Stay off the tracks, train's coming, because if not, there's going to be a problem. Now, if you said, I don't like that message, so what I'm gonna do 
is I'm going to take down the warning system. Trains still come though, right? The damage still be done though, right? So taking down a warning system, taking out the warning system is not going to change anything except that you're not going to have any warning as to the disaster that's about to come. But anyway, that's what they seek to do to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah had to learn quickly, and thanks to God he did, that that's the way it worked, verses 18 and 19. You know, the scriptures say in Hebrews 12:4 that we have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin but there were people that were out for Jeremiah's blood. So here you are, you've taught this truth and you've gone and told them what God told you to tell them, Jeremiah, and you find out that, hey, they're, they're gonna come after your blood. What could God possibly say by way of encouragement under those circumstances? What, what, what could God say that would keep him going? Well. We read exactly what God said in verse 21 and following of chapter 11. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth, who seek your life, saying, Don't prophesy in the name of the Lord, lest you die by our hand. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I'll punish them. Their young men will die by the sword. Their sons and daughters shall die by famine, and there shall be no remembrance of them. For I will bring catastrophe on the men of Anathoth, even, even the year of their punishment. And God doesn't enjoy doing anything like that, but the fact was, was God is encouraging Jeremiah and saying, look, Jeremiah, I got this. You just go do what I told you to do. But continually, he encourages him. As all of us know, no matter what our age is, from our, our younger folks to our more seasoned saints, being faithful to God often means that you have to stand alone. And certainly Jeremiah is no exception. Jeremiah had to stand alone. And Jeremiah's loneliness as a result of his faithfulness along with his related pain and, and perpetual indignation caused him to cry out to God. He, he, look, at, look in chapter 15. Jeremiah wasn't Superman. The pain and, and his loneliness and his, his being isolated because of his faithfulness was a hard thing for him to deal with. He was a real person. Chapter 15, beginning at verse 15, he says, O Lord, you know, remember me and visit me. Take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your enduring patience, don't take me away. Know that for your sake I have suffered rebuke. Your words were found and I ate them. And you, your word was to me the joy and rejoicing in my heart. He, he ate the words of the Lord and he, he took them in as it were. And, and he loved the words of the Lord and they caused him joy and rejoicing. He says, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. They all knew who he belonged to. People today know who we belong to. If we're living the way we'd ought to for Jesus. He says in verse 17, though I did not sit in the assembly of the mockers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because of your hand. Jeremiah spent a lot of time alone because of his faithfulness. He says, for you have filled me with indignation. Why is my pain perpetual? 
He said, God, this, just, this hurt just keeps on going on. Why? And, and my wound incurable, which refuses to be healed, will you surely be to me like an unreliable stream as, as waters that fail? Jeremiah, in his pain and indignation and in his having to stand alone and everything that that encompassed, began to doubt even God. He began to, to question God at the least, maybe not doubt him, but to, to at least question, to use whatever word you want. And he says, are you going to be like, like an unreliable stream whose waters fail, God? Are, are you not going to be there with me? He is experiencing so much that he begins to question God's reliability and God's ability to get him through. What could God possibly have to say that would encourage a man in that condition to continue to do the same thing that got him there? Well, God comforted him, consoled him, and gave him words of encouragement that would totally turn him around to continue his fight. Look with me in verses 19 through 21. Look what it says. Therefore, thus says the Lord, in answer to this question, are you going to be an unreliable stream? God, why is this pain continuing? What's, what, what's the, what's, what am I going to do here? This is God's response. I love God and how he encourages us. Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, I'll bring you back. You shall stand before me. If you take out the precious from the vial, you shall be as my mouth. Let them return to you, but you must not return to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified bronze wall. How hard do you think it'd be to take down a fortified bronze wall? You all know how hard bronze is, right? Hmm. And they will fight against you. Yeah, there's going to continue to be a struggle, Jeremiah. <laughs> but they'll not prevail against you. Jeremiah, there's, there's going to continue to be rough times. There's going to continue to be this. But, but you're going to be like this wall. And they are not going to prevail. For I am with you to save you and deliver you. God said, I'm not just going to save you. I'm going to deliver you. I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked. I'll redeem you from the grip of the terrible. What an awesome God. Now, as we continue through the book of Jeremiah, we notice in verse, in chapter 15, he's just talked about his, his being alone. In chapter 16, one through five, it, it's taken up another level. Jeremiah is not allowed to marry. He's not allowed to enjoy the, the comforts and the encouragement of a wife and family, thus probably, more than likely, adding to his isolation, his loneliness. He's not allowed to. And God tells him why in chapter 16, 1 through 5, because there's going to be these, these terrible, awful, horrible times. And God is, in the long run, trying to spare Jeremiah from all of the pain and grief that having a wife under these circumstances would entail. God, in his great love and mercy, is actually trying to spare faithful Jeremiah even more pain and suffering by not allowing him to have a wife under those circumstances. You know what Jeremiah goes on to say not too long after that as we consider that struggle? You know what Jeremiah goes on to say? Look with me in, in chapter 17. Look at verses 7 and 8. And I realize there's some time passed and other things come into play here, but even so. Blessed is the man, Jeremiah says, who trusts in the Lord 
and whose hope is in the man I'm telling you what like I said Paul David yeah a lot of people struggle Job Ezekiel but if anybody knew what it was like to struggle and still have that hope it was Jeremiah. He says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. He shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river. Will not fear when heat comes. <laughs> a lot of heat come down on Jeremiah. But its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heat came. Drought came, spiritually speaking. The problems came, the issues came, but Jeremiah didn't stop bearing fruit. Jeremiah kept on because God kept encouraging him. Jeremiah knew the source of his strength. Look in verses 14 through 17 of chapter 17. He says, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. God, it's all about you. It's all about what you are doing in my life. It's all about what you are doing with my life. It's everything is about you. If you don't heal me, I won't be healed. If you don't save me, I won't be saved. It's only you who can do that, for you are my praise. Indeed, they say to me, verse 15, where's the word of the Lord? Let it come now. As for me, I've not hurried away from being a shepherd who follows you, nor have I desired the woeful day. You know what came out of my lips. It was right there before you. Do not be a terror to me. You are my hope in the day of doom. Don't, don't miss that line. Jeremiah didn't say, you're my hope, because everything's going so splendidly well. Jeremiah used the word doom. He said, you're my hope in that day. And it was that hope and that encouragement and those encouraging words of God that would go on to see Jeremiah through everything. Everything. For example, in chapter 18, verse 11, God says, go tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, thus says the Lord, behold, Jeremiah 18, 11, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. How would you like to have God say that to, to any one of us? Wow. I'm fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return now, everyone, from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. Chapter 18, verse 11, God says repent. Verse 12, they said, uh-uh, not going to happen. Bad paraphrase, read it in your own Bible. Verses 13 through 17, God sends them a message of what he's going to do to them if they do not repent in return. Verse 18, they say, let's take down the messenger and not listen to him. On and on this goes. We go up to Jeremiah 26. I mean, how would you, let me, you know, have you ever had a thought, maybe as a younger person, some of you, maybe as a kid, man, if I, could, if I could trade places with just one person in the world, it would be whoever the blank is. Let me tell you what, when you really study the life of Jeremiah and all he went through, how many of you say, man, I'd like to trade places with Jeremiah for my life. I'll tell you what, my hand wouldn't go up. I would make sure that they were both behind my back so nobody could even mistake it for halfway wanting to be Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 26, beginning at verse 7, the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. And it happened when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people. These were God's words. That the priests and the prophets and all the people seized him saying, you're going to die. <laughs> Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord saying this house will be like Shiloh and this 
city shall be desolate without an inhabitant. All the people were gathered against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. Everybody there was against Jeremiah because he had simply told them what God said. And they didn't like it. Then the princes, when the princes of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house, the house of the Lord, sat down in the entrance of the new gate of the Lord's house, and the priests and the prophets spoke to the princes and all the people, saying, this man deserves to die. He has prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your ears. Now, if you're Jeremiah at this point, what are you going to do? You know what Jeremiah does? He said, yeah, that's what I said. We could go on, well, verse 12, Jeremiah spoke all, to all the princes of the people, saying, the Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city with all the words you've heard. Yep. But throughout this book, throughout all of this awful stuff, God continues as a holy and righteous God. Yes, a God who must punish sin, but, but a God who is so compassionate and merciful, he continues to encourage. Listen, God in his love, even for those who have turned totally against him and are going into captivity, you know what God does? He sends them words of encouragement. God sends even them words of encouragement. God is so awesome. Look in chapter 29. Look at verses 10 through 14. The very people who have to be punished because of their disobedience, who, who are facing all of this stuff. God encourages even them. Thus says the Lord, Jeremiah 29, 10, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I'll be found by you, says the Lord, and I'll bring you back from your captivity. I'll gather you from all the nations and, and from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord, and I'll bring you to the place from which I have caused you to be carried away captive. Isn't God awesome? Despite everything they're going through, he wants to encourage them. In chapters 30 and 31, there's one great, beautiful message of encouragement. If you can't take time to do the whole book, go ahead and, and read through 30 and 31. To all those who are going into captivity, this is one beautiful message, words of encouragement, including chapter 31, verses 13 and 17 in particular, which say, I will turn their mourning into joy, will comfort them, and make them rejoice rather than sorrow. There is hope in your future, says the Lord. Uh, they couldn't see it. They were going into captivity. They couldn't see hope in their future. God says, there's hope in your future. God says, I I'm, I'm going to bring you back. Did God do what he said? Every last word, didn't he? Even to those who had sinned for generations against him, God is gracious and encouraging. Here's an interesting thought for you. In the Old Testament, check this out. In the Old Testament, the New King James Version, the word hope, H-O-P-E, hope, occurs 69 times. 24 of those 69 times, more than a third, are found in the book of Job and Jeremiah combined. Job and Jeremiah, two of the books of the Old Testament where there's the most pain and misery and destruction, Job and Jeremiah. In those two books, they carry one-third of the occurrences 
more than a third of the word hope in the entire Old Testament. God, even in our worst calamities, has words of encouragement and hope. And, and so strong is that hope built on the promises of God that, that while Jeremiah is imprisoned and the city is being besieged and it's about to fall to the, the Babylonian army, when everything seems lost, everything is, is over and, and you see this army and they're, they're surrounding the place and they're going to come in and pillage and burn and kill and do all the things that they're going to do. God says, oh, Jeremiah, I want you to go through the legal process and purchase a field so when you come back. <laughs> to me, that's one of the most stunning stories of the Old Testament. I'm sorry, it just is. What do you mean, come back? Have you seen what's going on out here, God? Do you sometimes want to say to God, like Ananias did before he went to Saul of Tarsus, Lord, do you know what's going on? Yeah, the Lord knows what's going on. The Lord knew long before it ever happened what was going to go on. He says, you go by this field, Jeremiah. Now, even faithful Jeremiah at that point is incredulous. He, despite knowing the absolute power of God, he's still confused. Now, he goes out and does what he's told to do because faith doesn't always need to know or understand all the hows and whys. Faith doesn't need to understand every little intricate piece of the hows and whys. When God says to do something, faith does it. Jeremiah didn't understand all the, but Jeremiah did it. But then, after his obedience, Jeremiah is basically, how can that even possibly happen? God, what's going on? And what happens next, I want you to really ingest. I want you to imprint on your hard drive. I want you to never forget in your daily struggles what happens next. When Jeremiah is looking around, he said, this can't possibly happen, God. You said you was going to take this place down, and, and, and I, I don't get it. How is this going to work? I want you to take this home with you tonight. Jeremiah 32, please turn there, beginning at verse 26. Jeremiah said, Lord, you told him he was going to destroy him. Now you tell me to buy a piece of property. Really? Jeremiah 32, 26. The word of the Lord then came to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord the God of all flesh, is there anything too hard for me? Reminds me of, of God questioning Job. Comes around and said, Jeremiah, I'm God. Do you really think this is too difficult for me to do? Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall take it. God said, I'm going to do exactly what I said I was going to do. I told you he's going to take the city. He's going to take the city. And the Chaldeans who fight against this city will come and set fire to the city and burn it with the houses on whose roofs they have offered incense to Baal and poured out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger because the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done only evil before me from their youth. God says, I'm going to do, yeah, Jeremiah, I'm going to do exactly what I said I was going to do. Yes, I'm going to keep my word. But... I am also a God of incredible compassion and love. And in the same way that I'm going to unleash my anger upon them and keep my word, I am telling you right now, Jeremiah, I am going to, with my love and my mercy and compassion, keep my word and I am going to bring them back here. Look with me in verses 36 through 42. Now therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city of which you say, it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword, pestilence, and famine. 
Behold, I'll gather them out of all the countries where I've driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in my great wrath. I'll bring them back to this place. Jeremiah, hey, I'll bring them back. Just like I drove them out. Just like I said I would. I'm going to bring them back. And I'm going to cause them to dwell safely. Isn't that encouraging? They shall be my people. I'll be their God, and I'll give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. Aren't you glad today to be part of that one way, that one church, that one Lord, that one faith, that one hope, that one baptism? And he says, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do good. Check this out. And I will assuredly plant them in this land. This is God speaking. God says, with all my heart and with all my soul. We don't often think of God. We, we love, we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We don't often think about God saying, I will do this with all my heart. So God says that right here. He says, well, with all I've got in me, Jeremiah, I'm telling you right now, this is going to happen. And it did. And the words of encouragement just continue all the way up into chapter 33, all against the backdrop of the siege mounds and the slaughter about to come. I wish I had time tonight to tell you about all the things in Jeremiah's life, how he was accused of defecting to the enemy and was delivered to a dungeon, how there were those seeking to put him to death and imprisoned him in a well with no food or water, and about all the atrocities and tragedies that he saw, and, but I don't. But, but I'll tell you this, through it all, the one thing that kept him going was the words of encouragement. That's what we need to replace words of woe with. W-O-E, words of encouragement, right? All the woe in our world, all the W-O-E, we need to replace it with words of encouragement. Do you know that the word, word, or the word from which we get the word, word, occurs 98 times in the book of Jeremiah, in all those sayings where it says, and the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, and God's word came to Jeremiah, and the word, and the word, and the word, 98 times! What does that tell you? Tells you that God was constantly encouraging Jeremiah. And Jeremiah went out and became an encourager himself. Final verse of the night, verse says, turn to me to Lamentations chapter three. All of that encouragement that God gave both Jeremiah and those he would send away into captivity, Jeremiah himself became a prophet with words of encouragement. As he looked out over that pile of rubble, he said this in Lamentations chapter three, beginning in verse 21. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. And by the way, if you've never read the book of Lamentations, it is just, it is, it is an ugly scene. But planted right in the middle of it, like this one little flower in like a, a, a dried up lava flow of just rubble and nothing. Here's this beautiful, beautiful section of these words of encouragement from Jeremiah. He's learned his lesson well. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. 
They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Jeremiah hoped in nobody else. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Words of encouragement. We all need them. That's why we need to stay in this book. We have the God of encouragement, Romans 15 and verse 4. But we don't just need words of encouragement from God. And I don't mean to be irreverent or belittle that. We need words of encouragement from each other, don't we? Don't we? Yeah. Because we're made in God's image and we're being made more and more into God's image. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. We're being transformed into his image, Romans 12, 1 and 2. So tonight, I just want to leave you with that. Jeremiah faced things that you and I can't begin to picture, despite the word pictures we have in that book. But God kept following up every hard time with words of encouragement, and it kept Jeremiah going. I want you to be encouraged tonight by the words of God, by the hope that you have in Christ, by all of the promises that he has made. I want you to be encouraged. I know sometimes it can look like a disaster out there, but God still on the throne, isn't he? And he encourages us through the word. So I hope you will take up that encouragement tonight. If you are here and you've never been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then you don't have a hope. Not of eternal life, because that's the only way. And I want to encourage you to do that. And if you're wanting to study that, we'd love to do that with you as well so that you can make sure that you are his and have that hope and encouragement. If you're somebody that's already done that, but you're discouraged, you're down. Your just life has just gone And you need some help out of the rubble. You need help to see that hope and encouragement. Or if you want to become more of an encourager, if there's, if there's anything we can pray for you for, anything at all we can help with, please come on down front right now and we'll help, right church? As we stand and sing. <laughs>